If you are human, you're biased. We just are. And all bias means that we have these beliefs that are somewhere in our brain and they're unconscious stuff. We don't even know them. Mm. You know, they're not even aware of us. Like, you know, I go brush my teeth and I don't overtly say, oh, Shelly, you have to get the toothpaste and put it on there. And then you have to pick up the right. You just do it. Right. And so one of the things that I bring out in my book also is that and, and I talk about is that we've all absorbed messages in, in us and they affect how we interact in the world. And in those messages we've absorbed, there are beliefs and there are biases. And sometimes those serve us well and sometimes they're getting our way um, of growing ourselves and of, of growing, right? So um, it, it's, it's, I think one of the other things is, you know, leaders have to really, I think, check their own biases and their own beliefs. Leaders have to pay attention um, to what are those things underneath that are driving the decisions they make about people? You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message comes from Shelly McNamara, the Chief Equality and Inclusion Officer at Procter & Gamble, as well as the author of No Blanks, No Pauses, A Path to Loving Self, and Others. In today's episode, McNamara shares how to better represent your customer base while allowing employees to express their authenticity correlates with productivity and that a real leader is someone who is clear on purpose. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for the real Shelly McNamara. Enjoy. But let's get this show on the road. Here we go, folks. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining us today is Shelly McNamara, the Chief Equality and Inclusion Officer at Procter & Gamble and also author of the book, No Blanks, No Pauses, A Path to Loving Self and Others. Shelly, thanks for being with us today. Sure, Kevin. It's great to be here. Great to have you on. Always great to have someone on from Cincinnati, Ohio. Is that where you're coming in from today? I am coming in from Cincinnati. Do you have a connection here, Kevin? Got a connection there. C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I. I know Cincinnati well because that's where my family's from and I know how to spell it because I used to always write my grandparents' letters when I was younger. <laughs> that's, that's very good. It reminds me of, I have 14 brothers and sisters, so I'm one of 15 and I used to rattle off all the names in quick in quick and rapid order for to entertain people. Um, but it sounds like you might have spelled Cincinnati quick and fast and got uh, attention that way. I, I learned pretty quick after I spelled it wrong the first time. Let's just say that. Um, so, yes, you do have a big family. You grew up in a big Catholic family. Where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up on the, the west side of Cleveland. First suburb west of Cleveland is Lakewood, Ohio. Mm. And uh, yeah, so I grew up on Grace Avenue. Great like, yeah. Okay. Well, my family right now is in Madeira and I believe somewhere in Hamilton County, my uncle is floating around there. Um, and I got to ask you too, are you a Reds fan? Are you an Indians fan? Do you follow sports? What, kept, what type of interest do you have? Oh my goodness. Well, I don't think you'll be surprised to know that I love to write. Um, that's one of the things that I love to do. Um, I love to read. I love to write. Um, I also have three daughters. So we have three daughters. So really to, you know, follow some of the really cool things that they do. Right. Now, um, how are they dealing with COVID right now? I mean, are they in school? Are they out of school? So, uh, my, um, 
wife and partner, Cindy and I have three daughters. So our oldest is 23. And then we have twins that will be 21 in a couple of weeks, Kevin. And they keep reminding us that, um, yes, there is there is COVID and they're being really safe and really respectful at school. And they're going to find a way to have a drink on their 21st birthday. Um, And so um, what I could say about uh, so that's that's sort of the state of our girls. They're all at college. So three daughters at college and, um, you know, they're staying safe and they are also finding a way to study and stay in school online. I love it. Good. There's a will, there's a way. Well, mm-hmm. I hope they get their drink on their 21st. It's a special day. Uh, well, Shelly, I just wanted to know a little bit about, about you there. And, and Cincinnati is just such a special place. I grew up going there all the time and, uh, you know, for summers and Christmases and things like that. I'm sorry. I'm not a Reds fan. I did grow up in Cleveland. So I am, I will tell you, I went to the university of Michigan. And so I know I'm standing in Ohio and it's a little dangerous to say, um, but I am a Michigan Wolverines fan. So um, I actually, the, the only, and it's not a great time for this, but the only football team that I have followed that I follow is, is Michigan. Um, and then of course I'm somewhat of a Browns fan and somewhat of a Cleveland Indians fan, but, um, I think I'm not attentive enough to get the, uh, you know, the high marks as a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to a few Reds games. I enjoy, I enjoy going to the stadium and it's fun, but, um, yeah, it's the, it's not the top of my list, but I enjoy it when I go. Well, I should be very transparent with you. Let you know, I am a, the Ohio state Buckeye fan. My father went to the Ohio state university, but as long as he likes skyline chili over a uh, gold star, I, I think like, we can get along here today. I like skyline and Ann Arbor is a cool town, Kevin. If you have never been there, it's a cool town. Columbus is really awesome too. Yeah. My, my dad always told me to go at least apply to Ann Arbor over Ohio state. Cause it's a way better school. He said all he had to do to get in Ohio state back in the day was just go. <sighs> and if the, you know, if the, the mirror fogged up, then he could get in. <laughs> That's not true today. Yeah, I heard it's a better school today, but um, it's a great it's a great school. We had, you know, uh, all three of our girls applied there. They made different choices, but they all three applied. Good to great hear. great yeah. to hear. Well, uh, Procter and Gamble is is such a big staple in the community in Cincinnati. And yeah. just looking at your resume, you've been with Procter and Gamble, you know, for a, a long time. Like, what's kept you there? What do you like about the company? Yeah. P&G is, first of all, it's a huge company, right? So we have almost 100,000 employees. We operate in more than 70 countries around the world. So one of the things that's really cool is um, is that it's a global company. And so I've had the opportunity um, to do so many different roles in the 33 years or so that I've been here. Um, and so I keep growing and learning. Um, and the other thing is the people. Um, I got to be frank with you. We're, we have some really cool people and uh, some really smart people who care about um, improving the lives of the world's consumers. And I know that sounds really catchy and really crazy, but, um, but it's true. I mean, at the core, our purpose statement is to improve the lives of the world's consumers. And we make really cool products mm-hmm. like Tide and Charmin and um, Olay and Pantene. And so we make really cool, cool products, really cool people. Um, and then I've just had the opportunity. I mean, for me, my, my career has been about learning and making a difference, right? Mm. Um, and if I am learning and I'm also making a difference and making an impact, um, you know, and, and, and frankly, right now I'm in like my, I, my dream job. So, uh, for a little less than two years, I've been in, uh, the role of a lifetime and my, in my dream job as the chief of quality inclusion officer. So, um, that's why I've been there so long. Well, tell us, tell us a little bit more about uh, your new role as the chief of quality inclusion officer. Like, what does that mean to you? And uh, do you find maybe more purpose in that in that role as well? 
Yeah. Um, you know, you said the word purpose, right? And I, you know, I started the conversation by saying, you know, P&G, our purpose is to improve the lives of the world's consumers. But one of the things that's true about that is it makes it really important for us to drive three things, to ensure that we, we strive to be innovative, diverse, and inclusive. Okay. And, and those things sound like they're independent or individual because they're three different words. They actually work together in harmony and, and in partnership, right? Because being innovative, creating new products, coming up with new solutions, improving the lives of the world's consumers, that takes, that innovation takes a lot of different minds, right? A lot of different ways to look at problems, a lot of different ways to look at possibilities. And so bringing in a diverse mix of employees is really incredibly, incredibly important. Then the inclusive part of that, so we we are committed to be innovative. We are committed to, um, to, to bring together a diverse group of, of employees. Um, and we are committed to uh, be inclusive. We have to work on all three of those because it's really together that, that enables us to, to innovate at the pace and the level at which we um, at which we innovate. So what does a chief of quality and inclusion officer do? On any given day, it's many different things, right? Kevin, it's really many different things. But um, we we actually have an aspiration. So we, we have said we aspire to create a company in a world where both equality and inclusion are actually achievable for all. And at the cornerstone of that is respect and inclusion for all. So my job is to work on the systems, the culture, the leadership capability to enable that. So I'm going to break this down for you in a real, real straightforward yeah, way. First is um, employees. We want to make sure that in our employee base, we reflect the consumers we're making products for. Right. Makes sense. Right. You, you, you have a very homogeneous group of people trying to create products and market and serve and sell those products. Uh, you need to make sure that you represent that consumer base in a way. Right. So, you know, we do work on what we call it. So in the employee side of that, we want to make sure we reflect the consumers we serve. And then we need to create an environment where we bring people together. They feel valued, supported, and they can unleash their gifts. Right. Mm. To grow our business. So that one's really, really straightforward. The other one I mentioned to you that's important for us um, is is brands. So we do work in the brand, in the brand space. Now I work in partnership, of course, with PNG leaders around the world, and our chief brand officer um, leads uh, a lot of this work, right? But we we focus very much on ensuring that when we market our brands, we make sure that we bring visibility. Uh, and authenticity to human beings, to humanity. So when you'll see us, you know, you'll see a PNG ad. Um, we want to make sure that in our advertising, in our marketing, and in our media, we're actually reflecting the consumers that we serve, but in an authentic way and in a real way, right? In a way that's um, that's accurate, you know, and accurately reflects who they are. Um, and then, last thing I'd say is we work we work very um, intently as well in the space of what we call partnerships and community. We do believe at our core that an equal world is a better world, one where all human beings have the opportunity to grow, develop, contribute, and become their best is good. Hmm. It's good for communities, countries. Um, it's good for businesses to, to grow as well. So we work in partnership with a range of of people who have that same value and same belief um, to bring about more more equality and respect, um, you know, in the world. Shelly, it's amazing. It's always great to hear, you know, kind of what the minds of the leaders of uh, big corporations that touch so many lives, like you said, you know, consumers, so many consumers and products that Procter & Gamble makes. Just great to kind of hear what's inside the minds of these leaders and kind of what they're thinking about 
Now, uh, equality and inclusion, uh, how has it evolved since you've been at the company? You know, is there more of an emphasis on it now? And maybe explain about some of the forces that have increased, you know, the awareness of uh, making sure that you're including all of your consumers into your branding and marketing. Yeah, you said the word force, Kevin. I think that's a great word because the world that we live in today is very different than the world when I started with P&G in the 80s. Mm. Um, today, um, consumers are demanding right, a couple of things. They're demanding that, um, that companies and corporations have a point of view on a number of things and also involvement in things like you know, the environment and making sure that we're doing all the things that we need to do to make sure that our planet, uh, the planet we, we exist on, is here for the long haul. And so, and consumers are expecting that and the talent that we bring in is expecting that. Um, they're also expecting us to ensure that we have a point of view as it relates to human beings and some of the social uh, constructs that we're, that we're in. Um, and at the core of it, and I will tell you, the younger generation is pushing us faster than anyone. At the core of it, there's an expectation when we go to college campuses that we are diverse when we show up, mm. that there's a range of humanity that shows up to recruit. And when uh, that talent shows up in our offices there, uh, that talent is, is expecting. Because, because the younger generation, I just call it like 30 and under, right? It knows really clearly that that's what makes the environment a more fun, more engaging environment to be a part of. And that those are the kind of companies that are producing and creating really cool and great things that will sustain. So it is, so it is a different world. Um, I will also say that we take the responsibility. I mean, we are a consumer goods company. So we take the responsibility of building brands really seriously. And we want to build brands that consumers trust. Okay. Think about that. Trust, right? Trust is a feeling, right? If I trust you, it's a feeling. And so the way in which we represent our brands and the way in which we market those brands matters a lot. So for example, you know, portraying, uh, in our Pampers advertising, right, portraying men as parents in addition to women is a good thing because men are parents, right? And back in the day, certainly when I was hired with P&G, that, that was not the kind of media that you were seeing. But it's an involvement, it's an acknowledgement that says, wait a minute, men deserve to, to experience their full humanity as well. And being a parent is part of that. The other thing that we do is, you know, we avoid and uh, ensure that we don't represent human beings in stereotypical ways or in diminutive ways. And marketing and advertising is very guilty of that in the in total over the many, many, many years. So these are the kinds of things that are really important for us, both who are we bringing in, what's the environment, but also the brands and how we market those, because trust is at the core of, a, of, our, of our business model, right? We need to build brands that, that consumers like you, Kevin, uh, trust. And authenticity uh, and accuracy and accurate portrayal of human beings is one of the ways that we build trust with you, one of our consumers. And I know you you, you have to buy P&G products because you have family in Cincinnati. That's right. Of course. It's strictly <laughs> P&G products. Uh, now, this makes a lot of sense. Now, including more people and including the whole, representing more people, you're... I would assume you're going to have more sales. What is the correlation between uh, including more diversity in your branding and marketing uh, representation? Well, here's what I can say is the research is actually pretty unequivocal. Um, and I can't cite to you the specific studies. Okay. Um, but I will tell you that the research is pretty unequivocal, which is that the more diverse you are able to make a group of people, the, the, the better able they are able to solve problems, to solve problems problems faster and better. So there's that. Then I'm just going to say to you that over my 30 
plus years of working. Um, I just tell you the, the times and the moments where I've had the opportunity to do really cool stuff is when I'm in a room with people who are working towards solving a problem or creating something really cool. And we bring different perspective, different lenses, different beliefs about what's possible, about what's true and different skill sets. And I think, again, you ask, gee, isn't this a different company or world than when I started, you know, in the eighties? Yes. And we've learned a lot in those decades. And it's not just about the technical differences that people bring into that conversation, but it's who they are and how they've experienced the world. And therefore, what do they see or notice? Right. What do they see or notice um, about that, uh, you know, that product or that problem? Um, and, and that's what's really cool. So I can I could just say that my experience has proven that out for me as well. And that seems to be the main thing when we have uh, DNI people on the show is like, you know, we just bring different perspectives to the table and it helps us think better, whether, whether it's negotiation or coming up with a product or a branding message. It's nice to have different people, with different backgrounds and perspectives. Now, how do you do that during the talent and acquisition process? Like does Procter and Gamble have a stance on inclusion? And cause like, I want to give you a quote. one of my favorite quotes is from Abraham Lincoln's like, I don't like that guy, but I, Mm. I must get to know him. Mm. So, you know, you really don't know someone or you can't make an opinion about someone until you really get to know where they come from. Mm. So like how, what's a, do you guys have a strategy or a mindset during your talent and acquisition process or hiring process? Yeah. So, I I mean, as again, my job is the chief equality inclusion officer, right? And so what I would tell you, one of the things that we work on is representation. We, we translate that into actions. It's not just a, an intent. When I say we want to have our, our diverse mix, we actually put effort against that and uh, discipline. So we have been very public about the fact that we aspire to have uh, 50% uh, equal gender representation at every level of, of management in the company. Uh, and today we're at about 48% um, close. Um, and that, that took intentionality. It didn't look like that five years ago, Kevin, when we've had different generations of work, Um, I've been working very intently on some work that we've been doing the last five years. We have also said, um, and you know, and why is that? Well, guess what? Women represent 50 to 51% of MBA grads today. And that's been true for a while, but we had to intervene in that and and do some things to ensure that happened because it wouldn't just happen automatically. But Back to your question on sourcing, we that's one of the things that we've done. We are driven by, well, we know we want to better reflect our consumers. And that means about, you know, 50% equal gender representation. Um, the other thing, when you look at the U.S. population, I'll just talk about U.S., not, not on the global front, but U.S., um, the multicultural uh, representation in the U.S. is about 40%. Um, and so we also look to better reflect and mirror that as well. It's not an exact science, um, but we do set intentionality and we set activities uh, and, and measures so that we make progress against that. We're also now reporting that on our, on our site. So if you go to the PNG uh, equality and inclusion site, you'll do that. Now your question also is about how do we operationalize that? Well, we show up on campus with a range of people that come to college campuses that are also range of different types of backgrounds, some finance people, some marketing people, some sales, but also look different and have different backgrounds because people, when, when 
you know, when we have um, talent that comes to P&G, one of the first things that they will say to us before the interview process, what they're looking for is they want to make sure they can see themselves at the company, mm, right? right? Not only see themselves at the company, but also see themselves a few levels up, up in the company. They want to be reflected. While we want to reflect our consumer base in the talent pool, when we go to recruit talent, that talent is looking for, for themselves reflected in our talent base as well. It's very important to have people in positions of power uh, that they can you can see themselves. Like I, I hear that from female leaders all the time on the show. It's like, gosh, you know, we need more equal representation because you know when I was growing up, it was always white males that were in those positions of power, and it was very demeaning. And you know, I, I couldn't really see myself until so and so came mm-hmm. into position, and that really inspired me. Now, how do you get past what's referred to as a cognitive bias? within your hiring process. Do you train people on that? And I'm just asking because I want to know about the model that you all use so others can replicate this. Sure. And and I can't speak to the exact science. I have colleagues who can speak to the exact science. But what I can tell you is we do have a, an approach that we use to interviewing. So we have, in fact, we've rolled out in the last year, year and a half, a new way that we do that. So there are tests that if pe- people want to apply to P&G, they're able to do that online. Anyone can apply. We also supplement that with recruiting on campuses. Uh, and we do some experience hiring as well. But we've been historically a developed from within company right. that started as a, only a hire from within. Okay, but now we also, um, or last certainly, you know, four to six years, we do more experience hires. So everybody takes tests online, and there's certainly the tests that tests for uh, intellectual capacity, but there's also tests that ensure that there's not cultural bias in there, right, or socialization bias, right? Um, and I don't know how that happens. But I trust, you know, we have a whole bunch of social scientists right. and, you know, organizational psychologists that we have at P&G um, that, work, that work to do that. Because we, we want to have a set of questions that not only get at intellectual, you know, abilities, um, but also cultural fit. Um, and when I say cultural fit, I mean more values, like what, what people have, um, you know, what they value and what they, and what they believe and, and ensure that there's that. But you also want to do that in a way that you're not, you know, eliminating whole groups of people, right. Based on their backgrounds, right. Or based on their culture. Um, and it is, it is science. I mean, it's not, uh, you know, it doesn't happen by chance. There is science behind that and methodology. Now, of course we also, once people make it through a certain step, right. The online testing, there's interviews, right. And they're exposed to a range of different people that have the opportunity to interview them and get to know them. And really what we look for are examples uh, where people have demonstrated uh, the kinds of, of impact uh, that they would have to make at a company like P&G. P&G has been around for so long. I mean, they, they seem to be great with listening to their employees, listening to their customers, maybe a part of their secret sauce, which has made them such a successful company from the leadership perspective you know, how much of an emphasis do you have on your people within your organizations? Maybe explain to business leaders listening to this, why you see such benefit in diversity, inclusion, and equality. Well, you know, as it relates to leadership in particular, right? It's, you know, one of the core jobs of leadership, Kevin, is is to get the best out of all of those around you, right? And so one of the things that we do is, first of all, we make it really clear with all of our leadership. We have very clear expectations. We hold our leaders accountable for some specific things. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. And we consistently invest in capability. 
So expectations, accountability, and capability. And we have expectations on the business side, right? Those things that we all know that you learn in business school, right? Volume, profit, share, or if you're the scientist, it's evidence-based, whatever. So there's that. And there's also on the development of their, of their organization and the people that work for them and with them, but particularly the people that, that work for them, there is a responsibility. Um, and one of the things is that people feel respected and they feel included in the work. Like just take those two words, respect and included, right? In, in, and, you know, that's, those are a couple of the base expectations of leaders. And third is that people feel supported and there's a, you know, an environment where they feel like they can contribute at their best. So all of that doesn't happen by chance. It happens because um, we do a series of things that help our leadership, right? A series of learning experiences that they go through. Um, we have an annual survey that gives feedback for those leaders so they know, right? How are all of my employees? Not a few, not a, not a just a pocket, but how are all of my employees feeling about my ability to lead in a way that they, get the, that, that they feel like they can be at their best every day? And if they're, and from that survey, they learn those things that, you know, are getting in the way of them being at their best. So it's a, it's, it's, it's not a secret formula, but there is a consistency of clear expectations, clear accountability for certain specifics, and then a level of capability building Um, and creating, you know, a diverse organization um, and growing your business um, are are two of those. And uh, one of the things that our CEO, you know, has, has said publicly is, you know, he's, he's worked very hard as his, as his predecessors did, but in working to, to better reflect our consumer base and our employee base. And, you know, one of the things that he says publicly is he believes the the work that we've done uh, is one of the, you know, the big enablers to the, to the company's growth. It's what's supported and enabled, uh, you know, our, our success. And, and I, I, I believe that as well. Now, Shelly, you've been at the company uh, for, you you said since the 80s. So, you know, did you run into any obstacles, you know, during your hiring process? And what is the purpose for uh, writing this book? Um, You know, I didn't run into any any problems. Um, I will tell you, I got a funny question when I was interviewed. Um, I was when I was at the University of Michigan, I put myself through school. So I worked a lot and went to school. I'm the youngest of 15 kids, Kevin, and I had a single mother. So there wasn't a lot of extra cash around. So I, I had to do that. Right. And I remember my interview with P&G, um, one of the things that they asked me about was um, I was an official for the intramural sports. So I actually would you know, imagine that as a bunch of fraternity guys out there. And I was one of the, the officials and I'm only five foot one. And uh, and so, um, you know, I, you know, I actually had uh, one of my interviewers at P&G, you know, just ask me if... Um, you know, if I had ever like, you know, getting on that court with those guys, you know, had I ever, oh, I know what he said. He said, if you, you're awfully short, this is something you'd never ask today. He's like, you're awfully short. Has your height ever been a, like a major disadvantage to you? <laughs> so that's when I reminded him from my resume that I actually officiated as a, uh, an official, um, you know, guys who were six foot three and four that were playing intramural basketball. Um, and, uh, and then I was thinking to myself, I don't think that was a, a very appropriate question. Despite being five foot one, I still got hired. And that was back in the eighties. Um, but you, you know, you talk about roadblocks, um, the, and you asked, you know, sort of in partner with that, you know, my book, I did, I wrote this book, it's called No Blanks, No Pauses. Um, and it's uh, it's a memoir and it's poetry as well. And before you go running away by hearing poetry, I want to explain a little bit about it um, because this is a leaders broadcast. And with the word poetry and leaders, they might there might be people wonder like, what? Um, 
I uh, what I write about really is it's a book that that shares insights about humanity. Mm. Okay, it's a really big word, but I write about love, about loss, about regret, um, and I write about the experience of being treated as less than. Mm. And um, I have a wife. Um, and Cindy and I have been together for more than 35 years. Um, we were able to get married in 2014, but the, and we have three daughters who are in their twenties. So that it, that journey and that experience of being a, in the LGBTQ community, being in corporate America at the same time, that was a journey to go through. And so I capture both some of my personal challenges as well as some of what I experienced, right. Um, that are reflected in that, in that, in that book. I also reflect, but it's a, it's a, um, it's a book that's, that's for all people. I just use sort of my backdrop, my life and my experiences to communicate, um, some universal lessons, Mm. right? Like, and this is a, this is a message for leadership, right? I think no, you know, our job as leaders is to ensure that no one is treated as less than, and has the experience of that. And, and when you have that feeling, oh, Kevin, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you were being treated as less than in some way? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's totally disempowering. And, and so, so I share my journey with the hopes that my journey will help others along their journey. Mm. And I write stories where I had, you know, rejection where I had family members that died suddenly. And what was that grief process like? So that's really in general what the book's about, but I want to tell you about the title. Um, and, um, uh, I, the, the title of the book is called no blanks or pauses. And what it reflects is a moment in time in back in 2005, when Cindy's mother introduced me to a neighbor and she said, this is my daughter-in-law Shelly. Now, why was that important? And what's the relevance to leadership, right? Here's why it was important. Because back in 2005, Cindy and I couldn't be married. It wasn't legal. So we weren't married. She was reflecting the relationship she saw and what she saw with us and with our children. And that's something, that experience of blanks and pauses is something that people who are marginalized in any way know that feeling well. Mm. They know what that feeling is when someone pauses and looks at you. Um, Certainly people who are gay or lesbian know that feeling of, you're being introduced and you're being introduced with your partner and people don't know how to introduce you. So there's a blank and a pause. And over time, that blank and pause erodes self-confidence and it erodes that feeling of belonging and, mm-hmm. and uh, inclusion. So what I write, so the title of the book is No Blanks, No Pauses, and it's my wish for everyone. And I know it's the experience that many of us have. And I think it's it's the work of leadership to to ensure that that no one that's in your remit is, is made to feel less than mm. and those things happen in subtle ways. Right. Um, you know, the language that's used, what you talk about in the work group as the leader, who you spend time with and who you give the work to, who you invest in coaching and who you don't. So there's a lot of ways that leaders can communicate to someone that they are somehow, somehow less than, um, I want to bring out one more leadership insight from the book. There's, there's many, but the other one is, you know, one of the things I talk about is 
that, you know, we have all, if you are human, you're biased. We just are. And all bias means that we have these beliefs that are somewhere in our brain and they're unconscious stuff. We don't even know them. Mm. They're not even aware of us. Like, you know, I go brush my teeth and I don't overtly say, oh, Shelly, you have to get the toothpaste and put it on there. And then you have to pick up, you just do it. Right. And so one of the things I bring out in my book also is that, and, and I talk about is that we've all absorbed messages in, in us and they affect how we interact in the world. And in those messages we've absorbed, there are beliefs and there are biases. And sometimes those serve us well, and sometimes they're getting our way um, of growing ourselves and of, of growing. Right. So um, it, it's, it's, I think one of the other things is, you know, leaders have to really, I think, check their own biases and their own beliefs. Leaders have to pay attention um, to what are those things underneath that are driving the decisions they make about people? Mm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and, and intervene, what I call intervene in the automatic, um, because our default, Kevin, is to people who are like us. Mm. That's our default. It really is. Unless we've built a socialization process that's different from that. It, it's, an, I'm glad you said that. Like, I'm really glad you said that because it's, it's true. Like we all do have biases. You know, we all are human, you know, you're black, you're white, you're tall, you're short, you're straight, you're lesbian, you're gay, you know, and we throw people in the categories. Yeah. And I really liked how you also asked me, I'm sure you've kind of had that before because we've all had that before. And you, if you actually get to know people, you realize everyone's had hardship in their life and it may be different, but it all hits, you know, here, you know, more of so, so the same. And so I I think that's such a powerful message. Now, a lot of people also kind of have this same perspective about the private sector and about business and about working for the suits, right? The corporations, what is your message as a leader to people, you know, in your organization who are may not feel like they can express themselves uh, in, a, in a corporate setting or in a business setting? And also, how has COVID maybe changed this now with now we're all, you know, I'm interviewing you, you in your own home right now. You know, it's, it's a lot more personal. What have you seen and what's your message to those people? Well, first is what you said is we all want to be able to express ourselves in a way that feels comfortable to, to us and who we are. We all do. Matter of fact, we, we relaunched the equality and inclusion strategy in the fall. Um, and we did research. As a matter of fact, pre-COVID, so last December, January, February, I traveled around the world. I, I ended up being in 10 different countries. And we, we asked employees, what do you, you know, we're going to be relaunch or, you know, evolving our diversity, equality, and inclusion strategy. What is important to you? Seven out of 10 times, first thing that came out was, I want to be able to be myself. Mm. That's what I want to be able to do. If they were under 30, it was 10 for 10, Kevin. Like mm. 10 people then always said it. I, was just, I want to be my authentic self. So there is this desire for authenticity and it, it expresses itself in different ways. So then we'd ask, right? Like, what does that mean to you? Like, Kevin, what does it mean to you? And mm. now, Shelly, what does it mean to you? And what we'd hear is things, everything like, I want to be able to dress how I want to dress. I want to be able to wear my hair. Now think about that. Think about hair. Think about some cultures and, and what their hair type is and what their culture is for the hair and how some of the negative biases are that are against you know, a range of things. And so, so authenticity is a really important thing. And it's getting more, people are getting more and more aware on, like, I want to be able to do that. I want to be myself. Here's the business reason. When people can be themselves and they don't take energy to like hide and pretend, then all that energy can go to growing a business. Mm. 
So it's a really, it's a really good thing. It may sound small. You can minimize and say, oh, well, what do you mean, Shelly? You want people to be able to dress the way they want or wear their hair? I'm like, I want people to have some of the freedom to, yeah, to dress how they want, you know, within range. I'm not talking about wearing your shirt. You know, I mean, I'm just, yeah. I'm, no, I'm just, I, I, you, I, I, you, yeah. you get it. So, so there is this desire that people have for authenticity and it is growing and it has been growing. I will tell you, if you came down, the, walk down the P&G halls, I haven't been there in a long time, but whenever we were there again, you will see over time what's happened is a broader and broader range of acceptability for things. When I joined P&G in the 80s, you said it, everybody was wearing suits, everybody was wearing ties. Matter of fact, when I interviewed for P&G, Kevin, I, they sent me to the wrong location. The uh, off this career office did. They moved locations on me. I had to run to my interview to make it on time. And I had one of those bow tie things. Like it was like a, it was a, it, it was a, it had two strings, but then he had to put it into a little bow. And I ran so quickly to be on time that my little bow thing was like untied. And but that was all that women could wear back in the eighties. When you went to interview for a corporation, you had on a suit jacket, looked a lot like the men's, just a little more feminine. And then you had these bow things that you, you, you wore. Those days are gone. You're going to see a broader range of how people dress and I do believe there is a is a connection between being able to exercise, you know, that authenticity and then contributing. I think it's I think it's deeply connected. Yeah. And just to go on that as well, it's like, you know, what, like, like what you said about people feeling like themselves at work and what that does for productivity. It's like, you know, as a business owner, it's like, you know, payroll is most likely you know, the highest expense on your balance sheet. And so think about it, like if a machine was only operating at 40% capacity, you know, you would, you would replace it. Like you got to focus on the people within your organization. So, you know, it's, it's so great to hear this, you know, because as a large organization that touches so many lives, you know, we just love hearing that you guys are taking out and taking a stance on this early and really being real leaders in that sense in the space. What do you think this could do ultimately for humanity? If more private sector, you know, organizations step up. I think the first thing is growth, right? When you, if you think about two words, all three words I'm going to give you, access, opportunity, and investment. What expansion means is you expand for all human beings. Access to to things, opportunity, like access to roles, opportunities for development, investment, investing in them. the, The whole idea of just finding a way to get a return on investment, right? You said the word, right? A return on investment. Um, and, um, in, of your employees, the same way you would want of a, of a piece of equipment, except employees are a lot more, you know, important. I started to say, and I would say, yeah, they are, are important. And, And that's, that's really what it's about. It's finding a way to have all human beings. Someone's, I was on a panel discussion a few weeks ago, and unfortunately, I don't know who to attribute this to, but somebody in that panel discussion said, I want everyone's children to feel like they can accomplish their dreams. Why would I want to limit that? And I like really resonated with that. And I carry that tape with me. And I was like, I want everybody's kids and I want everybody. I do. I want you, Kevin, to, to achieve the goals and the dreams and the vision you have. Because the more you grow, learn and develop, the more you're going to contribute. You're going to contribute to your community. You're going to contribute to your family. You're going to contribute to the corporation or the organization that you're a part of and their mission and their purpose. And so I think that's the magic and expansive. What I love about working for a consumer goods company is we are very tapped in to the fact that humanity comes in a lot of packages and ways of looking and being and cultures. And it, it, has, it forces us, right? It 
to, to figure out how to, how to engage and to serve um, those communities of uh, people. And so it's, it's about growth, Kevin, at the core, it's about growth. I love it. Now, Shelly, uh, there's been a big movement going on with um, the debate around shareholder versus stakeholder maximization. Obviously, a corporation, uh, you're maximizing your profit profits for those shareholders in that interest. But does your leadership team see, um, you know, value in incorporating more of a stakeholder approach? Maybe, like you said, focusing on your employees, focusing on those communities PNG, such a staple in the Cincinnati community, you know, how is the leadership perceiving uh, the stakeholders within a large corporation like PNG? So, I mean, for us, it's a both and. We have a responsibility and accountability to our shareholders. And from the moment PNG started in 1837, we also, our, own, our original owners, the Procter and Gamble families, and it was two brothers that started the PNG Corporation, um, the investment in community. And the investment in all of the communities in which we operate is a core part of what we do, who we are, and how we are. Um, we also have extended that over time to, to look at some of the partners that are with us. Some of those are suppliers, right, that we have a partnership with. Some are other, you know, uh, other organizations. And we believe strongly and deeply in investing. Um, and, you know, and if you read and you go online and you read some of the PNG stuff, you'll also see that we also make very clear um, that we believe we have an accountability and a responsibility to invest in and be a part of um, keeping the healthy you know, environment and world around us. Um, we invest in the society and the world, you know, that in the communities of which we're a part. So, so for us, it's a both and. Um, and again, a consumer goods company, we have to be anchored where people are. We have to be anchored where, where the communities are and make sure we're, we have our eye on both. They're, they're very connected. They're not, you can't separate them. Does P&G measure their environmental costs or external costs, such as like the packaging, the we chemicals? Things we, like that? we do. We, we've declared some some uh, some objectives and goals. Um, don't ask me about them because it's the specifics because right, yeah, exactly. the expertise exactly. area. So I couldn't answer the specifics. But we are very public about one, our commitment and two, some of our specific targets. Um, yeah. And do you feel like that's also another reason young talent, like you said, the next generation is really pushing us? Do you feel like an environmental interest is also a reason why young people are joining PNG? Absolutely, for sure. Matter of fact, some of the the um, most frequent questions that we get from our talent that we're recruiting sits in the space of environment, social, um, and then what I'd call the governance side or you know ESG. Um, we are starting to get more questions in that space. The young talent asks us more on the first two um, G or sort of the, the other side of that comes from um, more from investors or, um, you know, other, other stakeholders, um, potential investors, but absolutely. Um, it's, it's one of the first questions that we get asked when we're on campus is people want to see um, what we're doing to ensure that the social construct is one that's anchored in growth and respect um, and inclusion and that we are, we care very deeply about the environment um, that's around us. I just think, Um, yeah, absolutely. I just think it's important, you know, uh, accountability. And, you know, sometimes we just think of it as, you know, our lefts, our rights, you know, our P&L and, you know, being accountable for really everything that goes on in the world. If you actually have an interest in humanity, you know, being responsible for kind of what goes out into the world because the climate does, in in my perspective, affect all of us. 
So I just thought it was really, you know, kind of interesting to have, you know, guests like you and, you know, and a great organization that you guys represent on and, you know, being real leaders in that sense. So, you know, Shelly, we've, we've kind of covered it all today uh, and, you know, humanity really being at the core yes. of what we're discussing. So to you, uh, Shelly McNamara, Nick McNamara, excuse me, what is your definition of a real leader? My definition of a real leader, uh, a real leader is really clear on purpose, right? Purpose. Why does this organization that I'm in, why is this team I'm leading, why do we exist? Like is really, really clear on it. You know, like, why are you here? I think over time, what real leaders do is the deep work and ask themselves the question Mm. of why am I here? One of the reasons I wrote my book is I had this point of clarity that part of my Shelley's purpose and being here on this earth, which sounds like a big one, but is to open hearts and open minds and build connections that heal the world. Like that's just sort of like became very clear to me in one of my writing things one day. And so I think great leaders get really clear. I'm really clear on the purpose of PNG. And I think it's, I, I am deeply committed to that purpose to improve the lives of the world's consumers through the way and, and in the way that we do it in a very values-based way. I think you have to be really clear on that and make sure that whatever you're working on and doing, that that's aligned with who you are. And then the second piece of that is that you are really clear on how to action that in a way that benefits you know humanity and the greater good. So I'm going to leave you with those two things because uh, I think those have been two of our two of our themes today that um that have really played out for me and i love it shelly and it's really impactful and just to think that you know all the employees within png could be focusing on their purpose what type of you know change we could really see in the world so um shelly really appreciate you coming on the show i love the discussion today um hope your your twin daughters get their first drink on their <laughs> 21st birthday uh and always and keep it real so for shelly mcnamara i'm kevin Ellers asking you to go out there be clear on your purpose folks and always keep it real thanks shelly thanks Kevin. and thank you good people for hanging on to this episode of the real leaders podcast with shelly mcnamara we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and folks if you didn't know by now and you should know by now that all of these interviews are streamed live and that Real Leaders has live interviews, then go online, folks. Just go online. Do yourself a favor. Go online to realleaders.com slash podcast and RSVP for an upcoming interview. I'm telling you, folks, I don't know why these are free. I don't know why these are free. You, you, you can't get this anywhere else. Live interaction with some of the best of the best. So again, folks, realleaders.com slash podcast go online rsvp i want to see you there ask your own questions and be a part of the experience thanks for being a real leader folks and stay tuned for the next episode